0: Welcome to the No Zero Gravity Zone. Ooh. Yeah. You gotta it's how it's how it works when I host. You gotta put in the theme. The NZGZ.
1: NZGZ. I like it. That's our that's the name of our show from now on.
0: My name is Steven. I'm Isaiah. My name, my name, my name <laughs> is <laughs> Is Charlie.
1: Just you're stalling while you think of your name.
0: My name? Here's gentle tapping of chin. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about Sonic Riders Zero Gravity for this episode of the No Spin Dash Zone, the podcast that you are listening to. <laughs> great right great, now.
1: This you're doing <laughs> great, Charlie.
2: This game came out on two platforms, the Wii and the PS2.
0: It's just strange. Yeah, it's super weird. We're in the new console generation and it's only on one new console. And it's the least powerful one, and it, alongside it, it is released on another console of basically equal power.
2: Well, the PS2 version, from what I read, runs a little slower.
0: It probably does. I play... Everything on the PS2 runs slower.
2: Yeah, I played the Wii version, and I initially tried to play it on my Wii U. I think last time I mentioned that I thought I had bought the PS2 version, and apparently I grabbed the Wii one, I think it might have been cheaper for that console when I went to the local game store. But I I went to play it on my Wii U, and for some reason, the Wii U doesn't let you use a Wii U Pro controller as a GameCube controller. You have to have the Super Smash Bros. adapter thing. Ew. So I played it on my Wii U for about 20 minutes and then determined that the controls with the Wii remote were not good. So I just hauled out my Wii and set that up. (laughs)
1: It's really weird that this game has a control scheme for the Wii Remote, a control scheme for the Wii Remote held a different way, and a control scheme for the GameCube controller, but no Nunchuck.
2: It would have been just fine if I could have used the Nunchuck's control stick. Yeah. All of the
1: problems would have been solved. (laughs) It's really weird that there's no Nunchuck option.
2: There's only three buttons, right?
1: Yeah, there's the control stick, and then there's Drift... And, uh, boost. No, there is, uh, Change Gears well. and... Yeah, there's Change Gears, Jump, and, uh, Break. Which, the game doesn't even teach you how to break, because you will never use it. Okay, so let's say you've got the
2: the Wii Remote in one hand and the Nunchuck in the other. You could use the D-pad as a button. You could use mm. Shake as a button. You could use A and B as buttons. And you can use Z and C as buttons. There's still no shortage of buttons on that control screen.
0: Yeah. For the record, I played the PS2 version. Did you feel like there was any lag? I mean, no more than I usually notice in a PS2 game.
2: Fair enough, I suppose. The game doesn't seem super graphically intensive. Yeah.
0: No, it's just. I mean, it looks a little bit nicer than the original. Yeah. Like, the original. Well, I play this on a GameCube, so I'm going to say that it looks more like. It looks less like a GameCube game. But, like, there's just some subtle improvements, I think. Yeah. But. I think it's a little bit higher resolution probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it feels graphically the same, but I think I'm not I'm not comparing them back to back. So, mechanically the gameplay's pretty different, would you guys say?
2: Yeah. I think the best way to describe it is that this game feels in general a little bit slower paced.
1: I think I would agree with that.
2: I would compare it in some ways more to a traditional driving game, like not a Mario Kart type situation, but a more your, your turns are very... They, they, they take a while, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, you have to plan out a turn. You can't just start turning as soon as you get to the the actual bend of the road.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, like, turning is just, like... I mean, for drifting, I should say, is, like... You're supposed to do it for, like, a specific moment. Because it's, like, very intense and... It's, like, a... It's a spectacle. Like, you literally use it for, like, direct 90 degree turns. <laughs>
1: The levels have built in specific places for you to drift and you really shouldn't drift outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. The way it works is you don't have to but you generally do use your like boost gauge to drift and while you're holding the button you slow down a lot and you sort of rise into the air and the like music cuts out and there's like a like a hit.
2: There's a there's a whoosh sound effect.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a whoosh sound effect and in this point of time you can you can turn sort of in any direction and when you release the button uh you'll like boost in that direction and the music will cut back in but it'll cut to like the beginning of a later section of the song so generally at the beginning of a stage the music gets more intense which i think is a is a cool bit although it gets old throughout the stage
0: yeah well I kind of enjoy it because it's nice to try to time it well. Mm
1: -hmm. It definitely feels great the first time.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed the mechanic. I think that there are... It feels a little weird learning it because you have to hit the button super early compared to when you would normally drift in a game. So even when you're not... When you're turning normally, it's turning like a real racing game where you have a lot of weight to your vehicle and you actually slide a little bit depending on the train you're on. But when you do the zero gravity drift, it floats you into the air and you can't turn for a little bit. You sort of just keep going in the direction after you press the button. So you have to hit it like about a second in advance.
0: Yeah.
1: There's there's a lot of like d- like, you have to plan your route in advance. You can't react. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't think the original game had anything like that.
2: The original game to me felt a lot more like it was reaction and skill based, and this game mm-hmm. feels more almost strategy based.
1: And it's really interesting because on the surface, it looks like the same game.
2: I don't even know if I'd say that much because I think that maybe compared to other racing games, yes, you're on like a floating board, but yeah. the vehicles in this game, if we're like, I guess that's the best word to call them, the extreme <laughs> gear, if you want to use the canon term, yeah. they, they look super different.
1: Yeah, that's true. And there there's more variety, I think, in their designs.
2: Yeah, I think there are like six total designs in this game. There's a bunch of different gear, but they they don't fall under just the three classes from the previous game. You had the boards, the shoes, and then the, what do you call it, like the scooters? Yeah. In yeah. this game, you've got boards, you've got scooters, you've got shoes, you've got these three-pronged things that the flying
1: characters use. Yeah. Gliders.
2: Yeah, and then you've got wheels.
1: Have you guys used the angel-devil three-pronged thing? No. No, what is that? right at the start you have unlocked the ability to use the fly things and then when you gear shift which we can talk about later it changes from angel to devil uh and i like it doesn't describe specifically what the effects are but i'm pretty sure it's like like a general all stats boost and it 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 drastically changes the appearance of the thing that's cool. Which is very cool.
2: A lot of them transform, at least. There are a few that don't, but the gimmick is that every character goes from being on a board to being on a thing that they can use to do their yeah. special move.
1: And it was very weird to go from the first game where you had a type, and as long as you were of that that type, you can do that thing. And in this game, depending on what board you're writing, you can do the thing, but only once you unlock the ability to do it.
0: Yeah, Which is fine.
1: Yeah. it, it like, I, I think it works, but it, it took some getting used to.
0: To me,
2: it's just one more thing that adds to this concept of strategy as opposed to quick reactions. Because it's about planning yeah. whether or not you want a certain thing out of your gear. Mm-hmm. Which at this point, we're just talking about the gear shift mechanic.
1: <laughs> yeah. So do, do you want to explain that?
2: Yeah, we might as well elaborate on it. So essentially, in the previous game, every 30 rings you got, you would level up. In this game, you spend rings mid-round to unlock different abilities on your board that you pick. So, for example, Sonic has, you can get his first unlock, which I think is is 30 rings still? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think the, the characters are designed to be pretty similar to their original versions, where things unlock at 30 ring intervals. And the first thing he unlocks is a boost to his max speed. The second thing he unlocks is the ability to actually grind like you could from the first game. And then the third ability is an increase to your meter, which is another thing that's changed in this game. You don't have a... What, air meter? Yeah, air oxygen. Is it called oxygen or is it just called I air? I think so it's just it, called it's air. called air. Okay. It Yeah, it's, it's not there anymore. You can't fall off of your board and have to run in this game. You just basically run out of the ability to boost using the zero gravity mechanics. And it also yeah. drains a lot faster when you're doing those things. You can only really use it for a few seconds unless you're in, like, a specific mode.
1: Yeah. But because of the way the levels are designed, you're generally only using it for a few seconds anyway.
2: Yeah, it's not it's not like the original game or other games like F-Zero where you're boosting all the time. Yeah. And there's not really a risk to boosting. It's just you have to decide when to do it because it's a resource.
1: I would say there is a risk to boosting, which is that the way boosting works in this game is just like when you're drifting, you go into the air for a little bit and you slow down. And there's also a like a beat hit, but that slowdown means if you boost in the wrong place, you'll have lost time instead of gained it.
2: Well, yeah, but that's not what I mean when I say risk. Like the first okay. game, when you run out of air... You can't move anymore, basically. Like you can you can move but yeah. you can't move nearly as fast. And in F Zero, when you run out of boost, you explode after you tap the wall.
1: <laughs> yes. That's those are definitely significantly higher risk.
2: In this game the risk is only as big as well, I guess I'm not getting there as fast. Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately the most important thing, but it's it's pretty similar to the risk of taking a bad turn, you know?
1: Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something else you can do with the drifting, which I think is probably the most interesting mechanic that the zero-gravity thing adds, at least in my opinion, is when you're drifting, you can aim in any direction. It doesn't just have to be left and right, and so you can give yourself extra height that way, but you can also slam yourself into walls, and then you are riding on the wall instead of on the floor. And so there are entire alternate paths dedicated to this sort of mechanic.
2: Yeah, there's essentially a chunk of the track that has different gravity, pretty similarly to something like I guess Mario Kart eight is the newest version of this, but it's been in all kinds of games where you slide along the wall and then you can go vertically or, or like not vertically. You can go like on the ceiling or on the walls and stuff like that and the gravity shifts as you move. Yeah.
0: It's specific walls, right? Not just any wall. Yeah, it's there's specific yeah.
2: sections of the track that are designed to look like tracks that are in midair and you can shoot onto them and then ride along them
1: yeah it's it's very clear what you can shoot onto and what you can't and and i like it because it it opens up the track to have a lot of different lanes so you you do have a lot of options as to which route you believe is optimal
2: well what i also like about it is that you can use the drifting Like, it's not just drifting. You can hit it whenever you want. You don't have to do it during a turn. So in the middle of a jump, you can hit the drift button and then shoot yourself somewhere else. So if you, like in the first game, you would miss these jumps sometimes narrowly. In this game, if you miss a jump, but you really want to be on the top lane for some reason, you can readjust yourself mid-jump
0: and shoot yourself onto the lane.
1: It's, Mm -hmm. it is very enjoyable to pull
0: off. It just, I honestly don't do it very often.
1: I think it's more important in the missions, which we'll get to, Yeah. because regular gameplay really doesn't demand you do anything like that.
2: Yeah, it's essentially, it'll always be faster to go to the other routes. I don't think that riding along the stage normally is ever the optimal route, Yeah. unless you're using a weird kind of gear that I'm not aware of. (laughs) But it's not super important for the story mode, because they just don't make it that challenging.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So... So we've mentioned how, like, the same three abilities are the same, right? Between Sonic Riders.
2: Yeah, th- there are gear that let you grind, there are gear that let you fly into the air and use the hoops to shoot yourself further, and then there are gear that let you punch through obstacles.
0: Right, and then, did you know that certain gear let you get those abilities faster?
2: Yeah, and there are also ones that start with their abilities unlocked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Did I- that was already mentioned. I think I Isaiah- uh, we
2: haven't
1: mentioned that specifically. Okay,
0: but- I wanted to make that clear also and this is something that kind of confused me at first uh there are you'll sometimes see springboards yeah on the map yeah and your first instinct in like any sonic game is to like check that out see what that's about but yeah. you can only specifically use it when you get this power up that allows you to hit other people where you're just running yeah So you're supposed to run into those springboards and you get like a cool little Cutscene, and it looks kind of cool because it's like it shows you different scenery of different levels. Yeah, it gives you new perspective. But I really enjoy that. But don't don't confuse like the symbol for the shoes that like you have to wear like (laughs) shoe gear. Yeah,
1: it's the same. It's the same color as the grinding. So I thought Sonic could just do it.
0: Yeah, it was really weirdly conveyed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I never had the opportunity to like use the spring.
2: I used it a couple of times, but I didn't understand what the requirement was until I think the third time I had used it. Yeah. But it does glow when you have the... the there's basically one of the power-ups that you can get when you hit an item box is instead of just air or rings, you can get the animation that you would get when you were boosting in the first game. hmm And your character will just be in that mode, and they can knock people out of the way and then also use those springs. And I think your max speed is just higher than when you're on the gear.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
2: Did you want to move on to the story now?
0: Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get to that. So I'm going to try not to tread on the story too much, but if you've ever listened to a podcast where I talk about the story, I take too long. (laughs) But I'm going to highlight the intro just because it's very interesting to me and it probably happened in the first Riders game, but I just completely forgot. Uh, Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, they're just riding in a car and Tails is driving obviously, and that's very interesting. I probably mentioned in the last episode about the Riders games, how it takes place in such a Different universe than what I would consider normal, which is just a kind of more modern city. Yeah. yeah.
2: It feels very much so like a side story in a way that some of the other Sonic side games don't. Yeah. yeah. Like Sonic Spinball feels like it could take place in the same world. Yeah.
1: This game absolutely couldn't. Yeah. Also, I know it's like already weird when he's flying a plane, but for some reason, it's so much more real when you said Tails was driving, like a car.
2: Yeah, and Sonic is in the is riding shotgun, and Knuckles is in the back relaxing.
1: Because he is yeah. a he is a child, like he is not old enough <laughs> to drive legally. <laughs>
0: But he is a genius. And again,
1: I know it's it's silly to say that because he drives a, an actual plane, which he <laughs> built himself, the child. But it just feels more real when you say car.
0: Well, planes kind of have a an air of fantasy to it where it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But when it's a car, even if it's a hover car, it looks like a car. And you're like, oh, that's a child driving a car through a tube.
1: <laughs> I know the laws regarding cars. As far as I'm aware, there is no age restriction on on pilot's license.
0: Well, there's nothing in the rule book that says a fox can't drive a plane. <laughs> it would be that's
2: similar exactly to seeing right. Elroy driving the family vehicle in the Jetsons.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's I just I just needed to bring that up.
0: I think they listen to like a radio cast, but or our TV broadcast because it's a future car. But a bunch of these robots break loose. And I think it's one specific, although I honestly did not pay attention that there was a specific robot they were supposed to look out for because it's just, like, slightly more brown than the rest of them. Yeah, there's
2: a higher-ranking robot that specifically has the arc of the cosmos.
1: But it also does not have a different design from the other robots.
0: But they find this, like, stone cyber ring that lets them do zero gravity. And they, they kind of escape and figure out they're made by this... Company called Meteor Tech, and they go to Meteor Tech, uh, find Jet and Wave, and then they find Eggman, and oh my god, they're like, <laughs> Eggman, what are you doing here? What are you talking about? I own this company! And I'm just thinking, does Eggman just have a monopoly on robotics? <laughs> like, you have to ask yourself, uh, how much of this civilization that we are living in exists solely because of Eggman? <laughs> it's kinda like the Hexaco in Sonic Heroes, like I think that's like all Eggman. He's just there's just these companies that aren't like named Eggman Enterprise or whatever that Eggman just owns. Yeah. He and he's just Disney.
1: It's it's worth mentioning these robots are security robots that's like that are like all over the world.
0: Yeah, like the guard robos in uh, Sonic Battle. Sonic Battle.
2: Yeah, Eggman has been known to sell some security bots.
0: But he's like, oh, I don't know where they're going. So they go looking for him. They go looking for the robot, and they, they basically collect these gear, the arcs of the cosmos, as they're later revealed. I think
2: there's an important point that you kind of brushed over, which is that Eggman doesn't, it doesn't seem like Eggman's the one screwing it up this time but he is there. Yeah, but it's specifically his robots are acting outside of his control. They, they've they been taken over by something else.
1: There's there's a good bit in the scene where Eggman is being honest about having no control over the robots and the gang don't immediately trust him. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, well, he could be lying because he is, you know... Eggman. Eggman.
2: Yeah, everyone looks over at Knuckles. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> knuckles is like what i believe him
0: <laughs> but i can't remember where they find out how to do it oh amy gets attacked by uh, a robot and also storm was there and they figure out the name of this like ancient city or something and knuckles is like oh yeah all the treasure hunters know about that and i'm like did you actually call yourself a treasure hunter yeah because i always kind of felt like that was something that rouge and sonic put on him and now he just, like, accepts it. Like, Eggman accepts the name Eggman.
2: To me, Treasure Hunter was a term for gameplay and not even, like, a
0: canon thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: My opinion is that in the Sonic Riders canon... Knuckles is a treasure hunter and not the last Echidna guardian of the Master Emerald, as he is in the main canon. <laughs>
2: Which explains why he's just on a road trip with Tails.
1: Yeah, because if because <laughs> if he were the guardian of the Master Emerald, he would not be. He doesn't. He doesn't get vacation. Like he can't be in Future City.
2: To be fair, though, Sonic Heroes.
1: Yeah, there's no explanation for Sonic Heroes.
2: <laughs> there's really no explanation for Sonic Heroes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, so many non-canon things happen in that game that is meant to be, like, the third great 3D Sonic game. <laughs> oh, man.
0: So, they get another ring, I think, from that area. Another one of the arcs of the cosmos, and they meet up with the Babylon rogues again at, like... Well, it's the control center for all the robots or something like that? Yeah, it's yeah, separate they...
2: from the facility they were at to meet Eggman.
0: Yeah, because that was the factory. But that that's more or less the end of the Sonic story. But the well, rogue wait, story... Wait.
2: Sonic and Jet race. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah, big Yeah, they deal. do
0: race. I mean, of course, their, their rivalry is still there, but like... Oh, yeah, at the end, Sonic's like, see you at the Grand Prix, which is more of a... Uh, it's kind of weird, because it's like promoting the fact that you can play a Grand Prix. Yeah. Rather than like an actual story thing.
2: Yeah, the the Grand Prix is canon to the game. It's not just a mode.
0: Like, it was a thing in uh, the first Riders, but that was actually part of the story. Right,
2: it was more like a fighting game where the tournament is the, the plot, but in this case... There is a plot separate from just competitive sports. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it, You know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of a Dragon Ball where, like, the tournament is kind of a part of the main thing at first, but then it becomes more of a side thing and there are more important events that get in the way.
2: Yeah. Well, then there's also the various games where you can play through each of the tournaments and there's a separate plot mode, but both are kind of yeah. canon.
0: Right. Or I guess any story mode in, like, a fighting game.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because there's like, sometimes arcade mode and story mode will be separate things in the fighting game, but both will be canon.
0: Yeah. I I like it. I think it
2: adds another layer of sort of flavor and fun.
1: I feel like the writing in this game is a lot more interesting than in the first one. I mean, I think the writing in the first one was interesting.
0: Well, I remember the story mode more in this game than I did in the last game.
2: I think that to me, the, the writing as in literally the dialogue and stuff like the word words are not as yeah. good but the concept is
1: more engaging and interesting see and i i feel like specifically when it comes to sonic and jets rivalry there's a lot of i don't want to say subtext cuz it's extremely obvious but there's a lot of like they're not saying the main thing that they mean it's more of a mutual understanding of what they actually mean and so for me the the character interactions are a lot more interesting because there is like a weird specific bond of disliking that they have with each other that works really well.
2: I think that kind of thing was completely present in the first game, it's just that their their relationship has changed slightly.
1: Yeah. I think in the first game they were more direct about their feelings whereas in the second game it's like I don't we don't need to say this cuz we already know.
2: I don't think they ever They never changed what they were saying, which was, I'm faster than you, I'm faster than you. And in the first (laughs) game, the message is, like, they're both saying I'm faster than you, but Jet truly believes that he's faster than Sonic, and Sonic kind of accepts that until the very Mm -hmm. end. Whereas in this game, what they're saying is, I'm faster than you, I'm faster than you. But what it means is, let's get this bad stuff out of the way and sort out our goals so that we can just focus on racing each other afterwards. (laughs) Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I do think, though, that you're right, that the the relationships have changed, and that is, in and of itself, more interesting, just because there weren't relationships to change in the first game.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially because, as a sequel to the first game, relationships changing is the most interesting thing to happen in the Sonic franchise.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's a serious problem, though, which is that the characters who are not Jet and Sonic do not get nearly as much time to interact
1: with each other. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's almost no attention put on anybody... Except for, like, Amy and Storm get a scene, but, like, it's almost nothing compared to what the first game got.
0: Yeah. So the Babylon Rogue story begins at the ancient city where they kind of decipher the prophecy. I think it's the Gigan Ruins, I think is that's the spot. Yeah, it's something like that. But, spoiler, the prophecy is basically that the hanging gardens of Babylon will, will rise again or whatever. I, think they're, they're just, I don't know if that's what they're called. I mean, that's what the ancient thing is called, like the real life. It, it references Babylon,
2: the home of the rogues, no, like one way or the other. Babylon Garden. I think, yeah. I think it is
0: Babylon Garden, yeah. But basically, it kind of puts them on another fetch quest to find more of the uh, arcs of the cosmos. And they're kind of having, like...
1: Jets, like, dang it, another fetch quest. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But Jet's like, all right, we're going to do this. Uh, Wave, you do science, math, and whatever. Storm, you actually go do the work. <laughs> and he's like, boss, there's just the most amazing thing. And I'm like, oh, go, here we go again. Or your,
1: your Storm voice is pretty good. I just want to say that. <laughs> hey, boss. <laughs> My favorite thing about this game and the previous game is that every single time Storm enters the like main room in their airship, it's always in a hurry. Yeah. Like, he's always slamming open the doors <laughs> and going, Boss!
2: Do you guys feel like Jet was more of an asshole to his teammates in this game?
1: I definitely feel like he was always an asshole to his teammates.
0: I don't think he is as much of an asshole, but I don't remember much from the last.
2: So, in the first game, I felt like he was rushing them, like his because his goals didn't super align with theirs. Yeah. Like, he wanted money and speed. <laughs> yeah so he's like let's just get to the point but in this game he's like mean to them
1: no you're you're right that his motivations in the first game lead him to be disrespectful whereas in the second game he's kind of disrespectful for no reason
2: yeah he's just brash and hasty in the first game but in this one he's like i don't know it feels like he implies that wave is useless or something
1: which is silly because she's literally doing
2: she's the only one doing anything <laughs> yeah.
1: Storm lucks his way into one of the arcs.
0: Yeah. She's
1: whereas, the one with the brain power.
0: Right, she makes the the things work. Yeah. She's the tails, but girl. Yeah, and a little... But a
2: bird. She, she was also more... She seemed self-sufficient in the first game, whereas in this one, Jet is an asshole to her, and then she just takes it. Yeah, she... <laughs> yeah. Mm.
1: I think I am interested in the relationship dynamic between the three of them more in the first game than in the second game where it feels like there's kind of no reason for them to be in the same group outside of they all come from Babylon
2: they're all birds just be straight with it (laughs) they're all birds birds. yeah I I liked them in the first game and in this game they just feel like his lackeys kind of which is the same problem with tails and knuckles yeah They also feel like Sonic's lackeys in this game, whereas in the first game they had independent
0: interactions. And they also, like, Tails interacted with Wave. Yeah, because they had, like, that whole science-y rivalry to them.
2: Yeah, and (laughs) even though that's super one-dimensional, it still made Wave feel more like a character and Tails feel more like a character separate from their bosses.
1: Well, because it gives them motivation. And that's the thing. Like, Knuckles' only reason in the first game for participating is spite for Storm. But, like, that's enough We know enough about these two characters to be like, oh yeah, no, like there's emotional investment for everybody, even if it's very simple. Whereas in this game, Tails is just going to do whatever Sonic does, and Sonic's going to do whatever's fun, and Knuckles is there.
2: (laughs) And Amy is chasing Sonic like a girly girl again. Yeah. That was the other thing. Amy was so cool in the first game, and they, (laughs) man.
0: Well, she had the dress on still.
2: That's right so here's the thing about Amy in this game in the first game she's wearing this athletic wear and she is she's really cool and even when she meets Sonic she's not completely a dingle about it and then later on in the game she switches back to her regular dress and she becomes a, a terrible character again in this game she just starts with the dress on and she's terrible all the way through <laughs> It's the dress It's the dress
1: <laughs> It's gotta
2: be hey this is Steven I'm editing the episode and in post I realized that I forgot to mention something about Amy. In the Sonic version of the story, the team loses track of Amy, and essentially she is chased by Storm to a completely different spot on the map somehow, and you have a mission where your goal is just to save Amy, and that makes her feel like a damsel in distress. But during the Babylon Rogues version of the story, Storm is chasing Amy, and you don't play as Storm, you play as Amy, and you have to get away from him. And then when you win that race... Amy turns around and just hits Storm over the head with a hammer. So she kind of just saves herself. So it feels really weird to me that that didn't happen in the Sonic story. But I'm glad that at some point Amy was sort of self-sufficient.
0: So it kind of follows the same thing where they're kind of going to the factory. They kind of parallel a lot of Team Sonic's missions. Yeah. But, you know, once they get to the control facility, Sonic gives all their arcs to Jet and they're like, Oh, okay, cool. But then I think they start floating towards Babylon, and then
1: a robot takes them.
0: Yeah, the robot takes them, that same renegade, and it turns into this, like, eldritch robot horror, very reminiscent of uh, Metal Madness and Metal Overlord, a la Sonic Heroes. And it's just a race, and then you're supposed to use the gravity boost to attack him. Basically,
1: I should mention for this bit, Tails deduces just in time that the like prophecy that was mentioned in Babylon, whatever, about what was it, the lightless dark, was actually a black hole, and also the zero gravity technology is just creating black holes.
2: Wave specifically mentions that it's making singularities at a certain point, but Jet is not interested. Yeah. So it should be noted that she is also smart, just to be clear.
1: Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That is important. Uh, and so when all of the arcs of the cosmos uh, coalesce in Babylon Garden, it gets engulfed in an evil robot black hole, which you have <laughs> to beat up. It, it's pretty cool. It actually is extremely cool.
2: Can we all agree that it's cooler than the end of Sonic Heroes? Yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of adds some mysticism because you just see the flying babylon garden just go into space right yeah
1: also at the end they're like so it turns out it was aliens
2: is the message that that babylon is aliens i i think so because i can't tell so one thing i felt about this game was that the babylon rogues already sort of had their heritage explored It turns out that they are the descendants of genies, and that genies are birds in the Sonic universe, or at
1: least the Sonic Riders universe. Which makes perfect sense to me.
2: And now genies are aliens. And now genies are aliens, and birds are aliens. And birds are aliens. I can't tell whether or not that's cool. I also thought that Tails wanted to unlock the secrets of the Extreme Gear and these gear look different, and they look like they're specifically for using the Ark of the Cosmos. So I'm wondering if the gear and the Ark of the Cosmos were always meant to be used in tandem, or if the Ark of the Cosmos were ever supposed to be held. Because it says that they're batteries for the city, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's how Eggman used them.
2: Well, no, I meant for the city of Babylon.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were No, they were the power source for the engine of the spaceship that was Sky Babylon. Because Sky Babylon was secretly a spaceship.
2: Right, but it was also a city where they lived.
1: Yes. It's a floating city. Yeah.
2: So do we think that people were ever supposed to be putting those in their hands, or is what the Babylon rogues and the Sonic team, are they doing something incredibly
1: dangerous? (laughs) Definitely. Well, they are literally creating tiny black holes whenever they drift. So (laughs) probably pretty dangerous, I would say.
2: (laughs) I like the idea that you find out at the end that it's just like, oh, we've been ripping this fabric of space and time. This oh,
1: man. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, see you at the Grand Prix. <laughs> see
2: you at the next <laughs> Sonic Riders game. Oh, man. Oh. No. We'll see about that. So, yeah, what did you guys think about the story in general? Just that it was more interesting?
0: It was serviceable.
1: It was interesting, but I felt like it was really hard to keep up with the lore because it was constantly presented in a uninteresting way. And also most of the story was not concerned at all with the lore until the very end when the lore became extremely important, but I couldn't remember half of it.
2: Well, Sonic's story wasn't concerned with the lore. Yeah, that's true. The Babylon Rogues were pretty much pretty close to it the whole time.
1: And I will say that Babylon Rogues is what you play second, so the lore will be more fresh in your, in your brain, and I do kind of like the way Sonic games can, tend to do this, where Sonic's story is like, Sonic just kind of does his own thing and it feels important, but then you play other character's story and that's where the actual meat of the plot is. Yeah. And I kind of like that bit.
2: Do Sonic do the Sonic Adventure games feel that way?
1: Sonic Adventure 2, I think so, just because Shadow has a really interesting like story arc that you don't get a glimpse into in Sonic in Sonic story, but I think it's you you get enough of everybody else that Bo- I mean, both stories feel important at the same time.
2: I personally felt that Knuckles and Tails' stuff felt like side things. I- and Tails was supporting Sonic, but he was supporting him in ways that felt...
1: Knuckles was definitely a side thing.
2: Yeah. Tails felt like he was supporting Sonic in ways that were a little bit, like, like not clear and direct. Yeah.
1: Actually, yeah, no, I, I take that back for Sonic Adventure 2. I also don't feel that it works that way in Sonic Adventure, because Sonic's story is very clearly the main story. Yeah, but in the same
2: way, Chaos's story is definitely the main story, and then at the end, everyone's actions are negated by one mistake from Big, or whatever.
1: <laughs> one mistake from Tails, actually.
2: Was it Tails? I couldn't remember it. I, I remember there being one character who made one mistake, and then suddenly Chaos got all the emeralds, and then <laughs> they... Like, it, the whole rest of the story might as well have not happened.
1: No, you know what? It was Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles, I think, because... Tails left the plane with the Chaos Emerald in it. Knuckles lowered his guard just in time for for Chaos to punch him in the face and knock him unconscious. And Sonic probably did something significant. I don't freaking know.
2: Yeah, but didn't Big steal the plane and then leave the plane and that's how Chaos got the emerald? That's
1: right. So Big is also responsible. Gamma's already dead at that point, so obviously it's his fault. (laughs) And then Amy uh, no longer cares, so...
2: Yeah, she never cared. That's true. She only cares specifically about birds and Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) So did you... (laughs) Do we think that Aliens feels like the next logical step for the Babylon Rogues, or do we feel like this is a weird, almost even side story to the writer's universe?
1: I want to like it, but I think I don't. Like, when I keep in mind that genies were already established... It feels weird to be like, yeah, not only were the birds genies, the genies were aliens.
2: But is that, I don't know, because the genie was really big. Yeah. And maybe, like, big genies are (laughs) actually just aliens. Is that okay?
1: I could believe that genies are aliens, but it's weird to believe that birds are genies and genies are aliens. Like, it's, it's, there's too many things, you know? It
2: feels really dense. I think it's still better than Shadow the Hedgehog having aliens.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Would you agree with that, Charlie?
0: Well, the whole genie thing is kind of mysterious, and Shadow was basically created in a lab.
1: A lab in space, actually.
0: A lab in space, and it's still weird to think that the Babylon rogues thing is less strange. Because, well, first of all, I think the problem with the aliens in Shadow the Hedgehog is how, like, I mean, kind of the entire aesthetic of Shadow the Hedgehog in general is the gritty aesthetic. Yeah. But like seeing the Babylon Rose and the seeing the spaceship as the hanging gardens is kind of cool.
2: Yeah, like floating and being mysterious was always their thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, really all it comes down to is the aesthetic of the games that make it believable. Yeah. And the realism of Shadow the Hedgehog just kind of kills it.
1: Yeah. And and I think especially because of the sci-fi setting in Sonic Riders, it fits in with the world itself much better.
2: Yeah, like sci-fi and aliens go together better than magical hedgehogs and aliens. Yeah. I think that you're totally <laughs> right about that, Charlie, that the sort of the setting alone just makes it feel more cohesive, even if the characters themselves might not.
1: Yeah. And I think especially because aliens is the conclusion they come to at the end, it's not really a plot twist so much as it's, like the logical deduction and then they just go to themselves huh and just leave it at that
2: yeah it makes me wonder what the plot for free riders is going to be
1: oh yeah Mm. like it has the same amount of mystery as genies I think because they don't show any aliens they're still like we don't know what they used the arcs for originally etc yeah so I think I think they say they explain and show exactly enough
2: It seems like all along the way, there was this loss of information. Like, they didn't know that they were genies, and then they didn't know that the genies were aliens, so they're kind of, like, picking away at this larger puzzle. Yeah. And they're learning that these stories are just that. They're stories. They're, like, hearsay. Yeah. Yeah. And then that being tied to futuristic technology is really interesting. Like, it's as they're finding things out about the gear, they're finding things out about themselves. It's it's, it's interesting. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah. I like the vibe of the game a lot.
2: That's always been my favorite part of the original Sonic Riders, and I'm glad this game had a strong and interesting vibe. And I think it's a slightly different vibe, because combined with the sort of change in aesthetics, like, the visuals on screen are not nearly as dense in this game. Yeah. There's only one big visual change, and that's when you use the boosting or the drifting, and it comes with a really cool audio effect, and then those things are all gone as soon as they're done.
1: Yeah. I love the audio effect in this game.
2: Yeah, I do, I do like the idea of how the boosts work and how the audio changes, and then how, for the most part, the rest of it just feels kind of like a normal racing game. Yeah. The last thing that we've got to talk about is the missions, and we're going to do that after the break.
1: All right.
0: Alright, but before we get to the missions, it just occurred to me that maybe this whole alien thing is kind of a soft retcon of the whole genie thing from the last game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because they never bring up the fact that
2: genies had anything to do with the Babylon Rogues in this game.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like how, it's kind of like a lot of Sonic games where they kind of have the same characters and some of the same basic kind of relationships but they don't necessarily acknowledge previous games yeah which is fine it's
1: interesting because as far as sonic and jet's relationship is concerned this is a direct sequel like Mm -hmm. the events of the first game happened because they have to have for sonic and jet to have the relationship that they have or else something similar has to have happened yeah but at the same time, the game doesn't want to acknowledge the, like, the conclusions and and the, like, lore learned from the first game.
2: Yeah, it's also, it's not like anything directly conflicts between the two. It's not like with the Shadow stuff where there are several games where Shadow's background is just completely different from other games.
1: Yeah, like, I think even in Sonic Adventure 2 and Shadow the Hedgehog... how Maria dies is different between the games
2: right and then also if you include Sonic Battle in that it's just a mess oh yeah like the, the line between Sonic Riders and Sonic Riders Zero Gravity is there it's just it seems a little bit fuzzy on sort of the history of the Babylon Rogues and I think that you're right to call it a soft reboot because it seems like in general they're trying to change the vibe of this game yeah and, and one part of that was changing the background, another part of that was changing the gameplay itself, another part was changing the sort of effects and user interface. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, because in the first game it was like, we got a sci-fi setting, but there's some mystical stuff going on, and that's pretty apparent like from the beginning, or, or at least close enough to the beginning.
2: There's also a lot of high-flying, extreme sports stuff, like it's supposed to seem over-the-top. Yeah. And I think that magic and genies feel more over the top than maybe aliens do.
1: Yeah. And in this game, there's no mystical element whatsoever. Everything is, is science-based. And if yeah. something seems mystical, we give it a scientific explanation. So why can this land, why can the city fly? It's because it's actually a spaceship.
2: Yeah. It, so I guess the best way to maybe put it would be that Sonic Rider's original feels more like science fantasy, and this one feels more like science fiction.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so.
0: Well, anyway, let's get to the missions.
2: <laughs> yeah, so this game, just like the first one, has a mission mode. It's actually kind of weird. It's tucked away into the story mode?
0: Yeah. yeah. As you,
2: As you beat different story stages, when you go back into the story mode menu, if you pick a stage you've already beaten, then you unlock this sort of drop menu of different missions, and you unlock three... And then after you beat those, you unlock a fourth, and then after you beat the fourth, a fifth, and then so on and so forth until you get to a a seventh mission, I think, is the maximum?
1: I believe that is right.
2: And I don't think any of us got far enough to see if there was any sort of larger reward to these, but (laughs) in and of themselves, you can get different ranks. So you can get, like, a bronze, a silver, or a gold, and there are different terms for them. It's, like, completed super and extreme, or maybe normal super and extreme.
1: I, I think there's four ranks, and the final one is legendary, I think.
2: Oh, I think I'm mixing up the word extreme and legendary, because super is the blue one, right?
1: Yeah. I, I, I always found the terminology weird, because it was kind of hard to tell which one was the final one.
2: Yeah, they're just all good. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, though, like, S rank is a confusing thing, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. And X rank for a trick in this game.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. do we actually mention the trick differences?
2: I don't ever think that actually came up because it's one of the smaller things. Well,
0: it's so weird because, like, I really loved doing the tricks in the first Riders and, like, trying to land before I finish, or finish before I Mm. land so I get a good score. But now it's turned into completely a timing thing with jumping. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that.
2: Yeah, the way it works is just the closer you are to the end of a jump, the better your trick will be. So you just always want to wait as long as possible. And I still think it feels skill-based, and it doesn't just feel like a quick-time event. Yeah. But it doesn't give you the same vibe that something like a Tony Hawk-style game or some other skating extreme sports game, where you go into the air, and then you're having a direct impact on what your character does, and that feels really good.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't feel nearly as satisfying to pull off a great trick, because you're less invested to the last possible second.
2: Yeah. I was actually wondering, Isaiah, how you felt about it, because I know you said that you didn't i feel like you didn't enjoy a lot of the mechanical sort of density of the previous game
1: i i feel like the 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 second game is more playable from a casual perspective like i think as a whole experience i enjoyed it a lot more and the simplified trick system i think contributed to that it made it easier for someone like me to play it and enjoy it but when i zoom in and look at the the trick system i prefer the older trick system
2: yeah you clearly understand the value in the first game
1: yeah absolutely
2: yeah so do you think that in general like overall the mechanics of this game helped you have a fun like a more enjoyable time with it
1: yeah for sure i i enjoyed this game way more than the first game okay cool which is interesting because i was very confused at the beginning because it plays so differently from the first game
2: yeah
0: I would say that it enhanced my experience with the first game. Maybe it made me appreciate it more. And I liked the first writers just a little bit more than Zero Gravity, but I still really do like Zero Gravity. And I would enjoy it more, but I have to bring this up. For some reason, the PS2 copy I got of the game has, like, corrupted save, and I have no oh. idea why.
1: Oh, no. I
0: talked to a game store guy about it, and he said that... Apparently, if you have a save file of Soul Calibur 2, every file after that becomes corrupted, so you have to have Soul (laughs) Calibur 2 as the last saved file. That's...
2: Incredible.
0: That's ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that sucks.
0: But I don't remember ever playing Soul Calibur 2 on there, so...
1: The PlayStation 2 is my favorite console. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Did either of you guys check out the extra courses that you unlocked after beating the story?
0: Uh, I did.
2: I did not actually finish the entire story. I got so... Ooh. I stuck my nose so far into the mission mode that I just didn't pull it back out. <laughs> I played through about... I, I played through more than half of the Babylon Rogue story.
1: So you unlock... I think they're called 80s Street and 90s Street. Yep. Which are... They're both homages to, like... Sega IPs of the 80s and 90s. Yeah,
2: yeah, same thing from the previous writer's game. They had, like, the Sega theme park type levels.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I think to play, those stages are not very interesting compared to the rest of the stages in the game.
0: They're, I think they're all right to look at.
1: Yeah, well, that's... I think they're all right to look at, but they're, they're less interesting to play.
2: They're spectacle. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I agree.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't like the snow level in this game. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one but it's the worst level.
1: The snow level, this is the the Babylon snow level? Uh, yeah. That's the one that made me be like, in a play session, I went from completing the whole hero story to getting to that level, and just deciding that I was done for the day.
2: <laughs> like, it didn't make you quit on the game, but it made you, like, slow down a little bit. Yeah.
0: I couldn't say I was done for the day, because if I did, I would turn off the game, and I'd have to start all over. it's like you're
2: playing an old Sonic game
0: honestly the win conditions for the specific like story mission is easy enough that it's not that big of a deal but like it's still very confusing especially towards the beginning and I do not like it yeah Yeah.
1: that it's a stage that you need to like get you need to become familiar with
0: yeah
2: so I've got a question for you guys before I get to it I want to just make sure I clarify I think the mission system in this game does not feel nearly as rewarding And yet, it was still rewarding enough that I just wanted to keep doing it and doing it until I got the perfect score. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a result of these levels being designed in such a way that there are so many different avenues that it's super fun to just trial and error your way through learning different things, and you feel really cool when you nail the perfect route.
1: Well, especially because the missions completely speed up the process of trial and error. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh yeah, this mission you have like a minute to do this thing, and you're you're just going through one lap, but you're trying to complete this lap as well as possible. Yeah. And you're you're learning the routes for this stage so the next time you do this race you're going to you're going to destroy.
2: Exactly. It's it's pretty similar to what I was talking about the first time we did the Sonic Riders. It's the mission mode is sort of a glorified tutorial. Yeah. It helps it helps you teach yourself how to play the game.
1: There is a weird thing that we should bring up which is at the end of a mission you have to bring up the start menu to leave
2: oh you have to do that for the tutorial levels too you have to pause and hit quit before you can go to the next tutorial level Uh,
1: it's so weird
2: it's the weirdest ui design thing i think i've ever seen in a sonic game
1: i have no idea how this could have been overlooked because it has to be an oversight
2: (laughs) yeah it's i don't know man it's just weird but it wasn't so weird that it stopped me from playing so oh yeah it's better than Sonic and the Secret Rings.
1: It's a menu polish thing, so it's it certainly doesn't impact the core experience. But it feel it's weird.
2: Yeah, it's still, like I said, the, the UI in Sonic and the Secret Rings wasn't maybe not as weird, but it was so bad that it was difficult to play that game. Yeah. Like, the UI was just the most crippling component.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
2: So, I wanted to ask you guys, what was your favorite level? Because I found myself sort of having a difficult time... They they didn't seem as memorable as the first game to me. Mm -hmm. I was curious if you guys felt similar and which level you felt stood out the best. Uh,
1: Well, with my memory, no level is memorable.
0: I think it was the final level for the Sonic story, like the control center.
2: Yeah, that's the one where you have all of those hairpin turns, right? And you sort of go, oh yeah, and you shoot up the vertical wall. Yeah, I remember that
1: level. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy that level as well. I'm just real quick booting up the game so that I can look through the level.
2: Did you feel like, would you agree with me, Charlie, that the previous game's levels were a little more memorable than this one?
0: Uh, Kind of.
2: Yeah, I would agree
1: with that.
0: A lot of the levels just kind of seem like rehashes of the previous levels.
2: Yeah, like you've got your city, and then you've got your forest, and then you've got, you know. Factory. Right. I do think that there is a strong possibility that I am just biased towards the first game.
0: No, I I hear you. I definitely hear I you. I mean,
1: the other thing is, like, I've spent more time playing the first game because I played it a lot as a kid, too. Right. So I might just remember it better because of that.
2: But I feel like, so, one of the biggest examples of something super memorable from the first game is that there's the desert level where you see the sunrise, and then during the Babylon version, there's yeah. an eclipse and i feel like that in and of itself is more memorable than anything i remember seeing in this game
1: yeah no i agree i think i and i'm wondering why it's less memorable in this game cuz i don't think i don't think the level design is missing anything that the first game has but i think the first game has the camera much closer to your character yeah and turns are faster i think it might be the way you play the game has you paying attention to the environment differently
2: yeah, you also sort of interact with obstacles more in the first game, I think. Like, yeah. when you're driving through the streets, there are cars that are driving past you during certain segments. Like, you have that tunnel that you drive through, and you have to actually kind of obey traffic laws.
1: There's also, in the first game, because there are pit stops, you have to kind of be aware of where the pit stops are. So I think you're you're looking around for that more as well.
2: Yeah, and then also, the, the first game, another thing I remember is that there's that jump where you come out of the waterfall, and the... Sort of like on the bridge level, yeah. It there, there's just a lot going on. I think that my favorite level in this game in Sonic Rider Zero Gravity is actually the Water City level, where you you you're riding down this sort of like river a lot of the time, and you go into mm-hmm. a like a water slide at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember playing that level as tails because you do that in in the story mode, and you have to fly through this sort of big centerpiece that has a water orb
0: in it. Yeah, and there's a fly Mm -hmm. ring in there.
2: Yeah, it feels really cool. It makes me think about the level. Like I have to look at these set pieces, and I think that's really cool in a way that that a lot of the
0: game didn't necessarily make you look at certain set pieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I particularly did like that segment where you could fly through the rings.
1: There's a there's a bit in the stage is called A's Boulevard, which is the unlockable. And it kind of feels like a Mario Kart course. There's a bit where you can ride on top of a moving train, and if you fall off, you'll just be on the ground next to the train, but you'll be moving slower because you no longer have the extra speed of the train.
0: Wait, is that how it works? I thought, like, you fall off the train, and then you have to respawn on top of the train. Like, you can't be off the train. Like, you clip through the floor.
1: I never fell off the train, so I just assumed that you could be on the floor.
0: Nope. (laughs) This isn't uh, that one mario kart 8 stage
1: i take it back then super bell highway (laughs) oops oops but there's a bit where you go like through the subway and there's gates that you can actually boost through to take a different route yeah which i think is cool and i think this game could have used more of like hey if i use my boost in this place i'll just go through this obstacle and have access to a totally different route
2: yeah, I think that they did just enough with it, but that they certainly could have taken it a step further. Yeah. Because I think something that's good about Riders is that you're always doing crazy jumps and tricks. Like, you rarely go more than 10 seconds without doing something insane. Yeah. Whereas in this game, I feel like you spend more time just kind of driving. And that's that's not bad. I don't think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I think this game, like you said, is more accessible to casual players, and I also think that it lets you soak in the sort of vibe of the game better. Yeah. I guess the the last thing to go over is the fact that this game is on the Wii, which means that you can play it with motion controls.
1: None of us did.
2: I did. I started playing (laughs) it with motion controls and quickly changed my mind. (laughs) So let me tell you about the ways you can play this game. The first way is that you can use the Wii Remote horizontally, which, as you might expect, to turn left and right, you rotate the controller as if you were using a steering wheel, perhaps, right? Right suboptimal, not ideal, but it it, it kind of works.
1: Yeah, like you generally have a vibe of if I turn this way, I will go this way. If I turn this way less, I will go this way less.
2: Yeah. It does feel weird when you go to drift though because you stop being able to turn for a second cuz you know you have that momentum slide and then yeah. you start turning and it just it feels uncomfortable in a way that holding the control stick to the side doesn't because yeah. you know that you were always pushing as hard as possible.
1: Especially because with motion controls they tend to recenter themselves, like, at specific points. So if you stop moving, your brain goes, oh, it's recentered."
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel right because of how slow the game can be at times. Yeah. The other method is the Wii Remote pointed at the screen, which you might think, like, oh, well, I guess you could still kind of turn it like a screwdriver, kind of, to go left and right. <laughs> no, 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 no. The way it works is... It gives you a reticule that you point at the screen, and then you aim where you want to go.
1: Oh, no.
2: I played more than half of Hero Story with that control scheme.
1: That sounds horrible.
2: It was really bad. And also amazing, maybe? It was super dumb. Also, you only have a couple buttons (laughs) with that control scheme, so you've got, like, you've got... Your drift, I think, is on A, and B is how you do powers. It's weird. But the fact of the matter is that in both control schemes, the way that you go into the boost mode, not the drift mode, is by lifting the Wii remote up and just holding it there. Oh. Like, you have to... I don't know. It's super weird. its It was crazy weird.
1: And then you can't, like, turn.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't super turn in the boost mode anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a huge deal, but you have to aim at the, like... Actually, you know what? You do have to aim using the vertical, so I don't remember how you do it with the vertical one, but I know for the horizontal one, you, like, shake it to go into the boost mode, and I guess you probably just hold it up. It's it's crazy weird. It's a very strange system. Play this game with a controller. Whether you're playing it on the Wii or the PS2, get a GameCube controller for your Wii, play this game with a controller.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i so curious as to how the aim with your Wii remote. Thing plays, but not enough to try.
2: Nah, it's real bad. So what do you guys think about this game? Thumbs up? Thumbs down?
0: Thumbs up.
1: Thumbs up.
2: I'm a thumbs up on this game. I was a little bit worried, especially when I started playing it with motion controls, but as I got more into the groove and I got my hands on a real controller, I, I really enjoy this game. I think it's refreshing. I think that it brings a lot to the table, and I think that it's great that it's super different from Riders, because I, I can't see a lot of places where Riders could improve. Okay. And I don't think that it needs to add more mechanics. Like, if you took the zero gravity mechanic and stuck it in pre-existing Riders, I don't think that that would have meshed well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Alright. Do you guys like it more or less than the first game? Maybe that's a mean question.
2: <laughs> no, I think it's a valuable question. I definitely like the original Riders as they just sit down and play a racing game a little bit more. Yeah. But I again, I certainly value this game for being different.
1: Yeah, because I think I think you you put a lot of time into s- describing the original game as a future racer, and I'm wondering if you if you feel that this is also a future racer. I still don't understand the rules of a future racer.
2: Well, I certainly think it is. This game still has mechanical density, mm-hmm. but the things don't fly at you as fast. They they only yeah. come up occasionally, and you don't have to nail them. Like it's entirely possible to take those turns that they want you to use the drift on without drifting at all. Yeah. And I actually think that's really cool because I felt I felt really cool when I was able to take a turn without ever drifting even if it wasn't as fast it felt nice to take a really wide turn with my vehicle. I think that this game is more similar to oh my goodness I forgot the name of that game again. The there's Wipeout that's what it's called. Wipeout is a game where the the pacing of it is a little bit slower and your vehicle is bigger and heavier so you have to kind of make decisions as you're driving as opposed to just reacting to turns and stuff and even still, that game maintains mechanical density, and it's got a lot of depth, and there are different ways to approach situations, but it just feels like bigger and heavier. And I think that's the way that this game feels to me. All right. <laughs> Do you guys have anything you want to say about the game?
0: It's just fun. And if you thought Riders, the original Riders, was a little too difficult, you'll probably get a good something out of this game.
1: That's, that's pretty much where I stand. Like this game is a lot more playable to me than the original was, and I had a I had a really good time playing this game.
0: Yeah. Oh, what do you guys think about the music for this game? It was pretty good. I like the Sonic theme, Ungravitify, Ungratify?
2: Un Ungravitify, the friggin' ride
0: through gravity. That one's it's a real good song.
1: I don't yeah. remember the Babylon Rogues theme in the first game.
0: It's essentially the same in this game.
1: I enjoy it much more in this game
0: i think it might be a remix when you say the babylon rogues theme are you referring to
2: catch me if you can charlie
0: yes that is
2: jet's theme specifically oh okay i think that sometimes they apply it as a babylon rogues theme but there's a different song that plays it is all mystical and mysterious
0: i mean it's like how follow me is team rose's theme song but it's really just amy's yeah
2: yeah but the situation here is that the Babylon Rogues actually have their own other, like, themed music for them, whereas Team Rose just has Amy's song.
0: It's not a vocal song, though, right? No,
2: no, it's just, like, background music, but... Right. it's
1: It's, like, cutscene music for their theme. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I will say, I feel like the stage music is maybe less good in this game... I don't think either of them really stand out very much in my memory, but the music is in this game is extremely written for those moments where you boost and the song like advances in some way. And I think it makes for extremely good moments, but on the whole, the music at large suffers.
2: Yeah, I think that I would agree that largely the music in both games is not incredibly memorable, but it really works for what they're going for.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Which I think is almost maybe more important than having a, like, stellar soundtrack. Also, I love the menu music. Yeah, the dun 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 dun, dun that thing. Yeah. I think that's just Team Sonic's music in this game. <laughs> I think Ungravify is the theme of the game, and then that thing is the zero gravity
1: theme. Yeah. I wonder if I have access to a sound test in the extras. Probably not. Audio room. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Sorry. It's the
0: way you enunciate things like that is just funny to me.
1: <laughs> what you, <laughs> you think there's something funny about audio room. Yeah. That's fair. But yeah, I like I like catch me if you can in this in this game. I feel like I remember disliking it in the first game. I'm not sure if that's true.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said that. I think that both versions have their like merits. Yeah. I think that this the Catch Me If You Can in Zero Gravity feels more like a Zero Gravity song, and the Catch Me If You Can in the original feels more like a Jet song. Yeah. Also, so the song is described as the theme of the Babylon Rogues, but it the song is about Jet. Yeah. So just like Charlie said, I guess it really is like an Amy Rose against Team Rose situation.
1: Also, I'm listening now to Gadget Round, the theme song for Meteor Tech Premises. That one's, I think, my favorite of all the stage music.
2: Oh, yeah, now I'm like starting to remember why I'm not like super into this game's music. Yeah. It's all like, it, it suits the vibe, but it's kind of like less energetic, I guess, I don't know. It feels a little bit more like, there, there's like pressure, but it's not as bouncy. I, I'm trying to use words <laughs> to describe it, and it's just not, that's not how music works.
1: Well, it's interesting because when I'm I'm listening to the song, I'm like, this feels very high energy, but I think it's high energy in a way that is, like, like I know what you mean. I also don't have the vocabulary to describe it.
2: I wouldn't dance to this music. Interesting, I guess, is the best way for me to put it. I don't know. Um, let me see if I can like link you a song from original writers that sort of highlights this difference.
1: Yeah, I think also uh, Megalo Station, its song is called through traffic has the best like you boost and then it just gets to the cool part of the song but it's not (laughs) great to listen to
2: i didn't notice that it was taking me to different parts of the song
1: yeah it like cuts ahead to the next major section of the song
2: yeah i believe you and i noticed that it sounded really good whenever i transitioned so that's smartly done but i just never i never realized it was cutting me to a different part of the song
1: i'm so like impressed by the way it's done too because it it feels right
2: Metal Gear Rising has a similar thing when you're doing a boss fight that when you hit a certain spot, there is frequently an explosion and like something to make a little <laughs> bit of sound. And during that time, the song cuts to having lyrics ooh, where it didn't before.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I, I really like dynamic soundtracks, but I don't know that I've seen a dynamic soundtrack do something like this where they're like, oh yeah, no, it's just wherever you are in the song, plus one.
2: I I think that Metal Gear Rising does something like that Because from what I remember The songs cut to the spot where the vocalist shouts the name of the song
1: (laughs) Frequently I have seen games that have a song that plays Like at a certain section And then no matter where in the song you are There is a transition that plays into the next song Yeah And I've seen games do that very effectively And it's always it's always great um i've also seen you know it's the i think the most common version of dynamic soundtracks is when more instruments come in over time depending on where you are and some instruments will leave yeah but it's typically the same song throughout i know uh future sonic games will be like hey are you boosting if so have some drums
2: yeah, here's a little bit less bass.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty good.
2: There's a link to the theme of Metal City, which I think highlights the the sort of difference in energy. I think it's maybe just the percussion that is doing it. Okay. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's exactly the percussion, because it's way more like...
2: It's and bassy.
1: Yeah. I think it's the same tempo, even. Yeah, it could
2: be, I don't know. It's just, it's just something about it feels like a little bit more dancey in
1: original writers. And I think the reason that Zero Gravity has less bass is because the bass hit is literally a mechanic. Yeah. But again, I think I think as oh, far as man. listening to the song while you're playing goes, it suffers from that, even though it creates very specific moments of feeling excellent.
2: I'm just listening to all of Metal City again and remembering <laughs> that the song just goes places all
1: the time. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff.
2: Uh, I think we should maybe end the podcast before I just start listening to the entire soundtrack of both of these games. That is probably
1: a good call.
2: Alright, well, thanks for joining us today or tonight, depending on when and where you're listening. If you'd like... Or tomorrow. Well, I don't... Or yesterday. that, That implies some really weird things about the timing of the podcast and the possibility of listening to it after it's aired. If you'd like to send us a message, reach out, let us know what you're thinking about, ask us a question. You can send all of those various things to no spin zone at gmail.com if you'd like to interact with us on twitter we also have a twitter which is at no spin zone
1: if you'd like to support us on patreon you can find us at patreon.com nsdz for two dollars a month you'll have access to our episodes a week early you'll also get invited to our discord channel if you donate five dollars a month you will get access to an exclusive bi-weekly show we do called the mobius strip Uh, where we read the Sonic Archie comics. And if you donate $10 a month, then you will have access to our pre-show where we sort of warm up by talking about random stuff. Uh, You'll also get our show two weeks early instead of one week early. And you'll be supporting creators. You can also find me on Twitter at Isaiah Games. That's I-S-I-A-H Games. Did you hear me trying really hard not to say Twitter.com slash... <laughs> I mean
2: you don't you don't necessarily need to stop saying it. It just really weirds me out because I've never heard anyone else phrase it that way.
1: Twitter.com slash Isaiah Games. As a matter That's... of fact,
2: if you ever introduce the podcast, do it do it my way, and then always do your Twitter a different way so that it <laughs> just sounds confusing.
1: <laughs> Go to twitter.com slash twitter.com slash Isaiah Games.
0: You can follow me at drawscharlie where I don't draw something every day because now it's 2020 (laughs) and I will upload art when I feel like it.
1: Hell yeah. It's an art Twitter.
2: It's like an art gallery where he retweets things as well. So if you just want a good curated stream
0: of art from the same artists of care of the same characters, you know,
2: that's where you go.
1: (laughs) Charlie, your pitch is getting better every time.
2: (laughs) Thanks. Also, what's next time? What are we doing next time? Is that Sega Sonic Super? Yeah, we're Super doing tennis?
1: Sega Superstars Tennis.
2: See you soon. <laughs> with the Spin Dash, you later is that the Sp- one?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Spin. We need a we need a a, a, a slogan. We need a catchphrase to a so become more iconic. Yeah, uh, obviously, Spin You Later is great, but let's try and come up with a Plan B. plan b as in bye bye we you got it i'm hitting stop
2: we'd like to thank the lag radio network for hosting our show on platforms like soundcloud itunes stitcher and lots more if you enjoyed our show you can find the rest of what the radio network has to offer by searching for the lag radio network on any of these platforms